Section 20 of 10-Minute Stories by Algernon Blackwood This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Read by Ben Tucker The Whisperers To be too impressionable is as much a source of weakness as to be hypersensitive. So many messages come flooding in upon one another that confusion is the result. The mind chokes, imagination grows congested. Jones, as an imaginative writing man, was well aware of this, yet could not always prevent it. For if he dulled his mind to one impression, he ran the risk of blunting it to all, to guard his main idea and picket its safe conduct through the seethe of additions that instantly flocked to join it, was a psychological puzzle that sometimes overtaxed his powers of critical selection. He prepared for it, however. An editor would ask him for a story. About 5,000 words, you know. And Jones would answer, I'll send it to you with pleasure when it comes. He knew his difficulty too well to promise more. Ideas were never lacking, but their length of treatment belonged to machinery he could not coerce. They were alive. They refused to come to heel to suit mere editors. Midway in a tale that started crystal clear and definite in its original germ, would pour a flood of new impressions that either smothered the first conception or developed it beyond recognition. Often a short story exfoliated in this bursting way beyond his power to stop it. He began one, never knowing where it would lead him. It was ever an adventure, like Jack the Giant Killer's beanstalk it grew secretly in the night. Fed by everything he read, saw, felt, or heard, Jones was too impressionable. He received too many impressions, and too easily. For this reason, when working at a definite short idea, he preferred an empty room, without pictures, furniture, books, or anything suggestive, and with a skylight that shut out scenery. Just ink, blank paper, and the clear picture in his mind. His own interior, unstimulated by the geysers of external life, he made some pretense of regulating. Though even under these favorable conditions, the matter was not too easy. So prolifically does a sensitive mind engender. His experience in the empty room of the carpenter's house was a curious case in point, in the little Jura village where his cousin lived to educate his children. We're all in a pension above the post office here, the cousin wrote, but just now the house is full, and besides is rather noisy. I've taken an attic room for you at the carpenter's near the forest. Some things of mine have been stored there all the winter, but I moved the cases out this morning. There's a bed, writing table, wash handstand, sofa, and a skylight window, otherwise empty as I know you prefer it. You can have your meals with us, etc. And this just suited Jones, who had six weeks' work on hand for which he needed empty solitude. His idea was slight and very tender. Accretions would easily smother clear presentment. Its treatment must be delicate, simple, unconfused. The room really was an attic, but large, wide, high, he heard the wind rush past the skylight when he went to bed. When the cupboard was open, he heard the wind there, too, washing the outer walls and tiles. From his pillow, he saw a patch of stars peep down upon him. Jones knew the mountains and the woods were close, but he could not see them. Better still, he could not smell them, and he went to bed dead tired, full of his theme for work next morning. He saw it to the end. He could almost have promised five thousand words. With the dawn, he would be up and at it. For he usually woke very early, his mind surcharged, 
as though subconsciousness had matured the material in sleep. Cold bath, a cup of tea, and then his writing table. And the quicker he could reach the writing table, the richer was the content of imaginative thought. What had puzzled him the night before was invariably cleared up in the morning. Only illness could interfere with the process and routine of it. But this time it was otherwise. He woke and instantly realized with a shock of surprise and disappointment that his mind was groping. It was groping for his little lost idea. There was nothing physically wrong with him. He felt rested, fresh, clear-headed. But his brain was searching, searching, moreover, in a crowd, trying to seize hold of the train it had relinquished several hours ago. It caught at an evasive empty shell. The idea had utterly changed, or rather it seemed smothered by a host of new impressions that came pouring in upon it. New modes of treatment, points of view, in fact, development. In the light of these extensions and novel aspects, his original idea had altered beyond recognition. The germ had marvelously exfoliated, so that a whole volume could alone express it. An army of fresh suggestions clamored for expression. His subconsciousness had grown thick with life. It surged, active, crowded, tumultuous. And the darkness puzzled him. He remembered the absence of accustomed windows. But it was only when the candlelight brought close the face of his watch, with two o'clock upon it, that he heard the sound of confused whispering in the corners of the room and realized with a little twinge of fear that those who whispered had just been standing beside his very bed. The room was full, though the candlelight proclaimed it empty. Bare walls, bare floor, five pieces of unimaginative furniture, and fifty stars peeping through the skylight. It was undeniably thronged with living people whose minds had called him out of heavy sleep. The whispers, of course, died off into the wind that swept the roof and skylight, but the whisperers remained. They had been trying to get at him. Waking suddenly, he had caught them in the very act, and all had brought new interpretations with them. His thought had fundamentally altered. The original idea was snowed under, New images brimmed his mind, and his brain was working as it worked under the high pressure of creative moments. Jones sat up, trembling a little, and stared about him into the empty room that yet was densely packed with these invisible whisperers, and he realized this astonishing thing, that he was the object of their deliberate assault, and that scores of other minds, deep, powerful, very active minds, were thundering and beating upon the doors of his imagination. The onset of them was terrific and bewildering. The attack of aggressive ideas obliterating his original story beneath a flood of new suggestions. Inspiration had become suddenly torrential, yet so vast as to be unwieldy, incoherent, useless. It was like the tempest of images that fever brings. His first conception seemed no longer delicate, but petty. It had turned unreal and tiny compared with this enormous choice of treatment, extension, development, that now overwhelmed his throbbing brain. Fear caught vividly at him as he searched the empty attic room in vain for explanation. There was absolutely nothing to produce this tempest of new impressions. People seemed talking to him altogether, jumbled somewhat, but insistently. It was obsession rather than inspiration and so bitingly, dreadfully real. 
Who are you all? His mind whispered to blank walls and vacant corners. Back from the shouting floor and ceiling came the chorus of images that stormed and clamored for expression. Jones lay still and listened. He let them come. There was nothing else to do. He lay fearful, negative, receptive. It was all too big for him to manage, set to some scale of high achievement that submerged his own small powers. It came, too, in a series of impressions, all separate yet all somehow interwoven. In vain, he tried to sort them out and sift them. As well, sort out waves upon an agitated sea. They were too self-assertive for direction or control. Like wild animals, hungry, thirsty, ravening, they rushed from every side and fastened on his mind. Yet he perceived them in a certain sequence. For first, the unfurnished attic chamber was full of human passion, of love and hate, revenge and wicked cunning, of jealousy, courage, cowardice, of every vital human emotion ever longed for, enjoyed, or frustrated, all clamoring for expression. Flaming across and through these, incongruously threaded in and out, ran next a yearning softness of incredible beauty that sighed in the empty spaces of his heart, pleading for impossible fulfillment. And after these, carrying both one and other upon their surface, huge questions flashed, and dived, and thundered in a patterned wild entanglement, calling to be unraveled and made straight. Moreover, with every set came a new suggested treatment of the little clear idea he had taken to bed with him five hours before. Jones adopted each in turn. Imagination writhed and twisted beneath the stress of all these potential modes of expression he must choose between. His small idea exfoliated into many volumes, work enough to fill a dozen lives. It was most gorgeously exhilarating, though so hopelessly unmanageable. He felt like many minds in one. Then came another chain of impressions, violent, yet steady, owing to their depth. The voices, questions, pleadings turned to pictures. And he saw, struggling through the deeps of him, enormous quantities of people, passing along like rivers, massed, herded, swayed here and there by some outstanding figure of command who directed them like flowing water. They shrieked and fought and battled, then sank out of sight, huddled and destroyed in blood. And their places were taken instantly by white crowds with shining eyes and yearning in their faces, who climbed precipitous heights toward some radiance that kept ever out of sight like sunrise behind mountains that clouds then swallow. The pelt and thunder of images was destructive in its torrent. His little first idea was drowned and wrecked. Jones sank back exhausted, utterly dismayed. He gave up all attempt to make selection. The driving storm swept through him on and on, now waxing, now waning, but never growing less, and apparently endless as the sky. It rushed in circles like the turning of a giant wheel. All the activities that human minds have ever battled with since thought began came booming, crashing, straining for expression against the imaginative stuff whereof his mind was built. The walls began to yield and settle. It was like the chaos that madness brings. He did not struggle against it. He let it come, lying open and receptive, pliant and plastic to every detail of the vast invasion. And the only time he attempted a complete obedience, 
reaching out for the pencil and notebook that lay beside his bed. He desisted instantly again, sinking back upon his pillows with a kind of frightened laughter. For the tempest seemed then to knock him down and bruise his very brain. Inextricable confusion caught him. He might as well have tried to make notes of the entire Alexandrian library in half an hour. Then, most singular of all, as he felt the sleep of exhaustion fall upon his tired nerves, he heard that deep, prodigious sound. All that had proceeded it gathered marvelously in, mothering it with a sweetness that seemed to his imagination like some harmonious geometrical skine, including all the activities men's minds have ever known. Faintly he realized it only, discerned from infinitely far away, into the streams of apparent contradiction that warred so strenuously about him, it seemed to bring some hint of unifying harmonious explanation. And here and there, as sleep buried him, he imagined that chords lay threaded along strings of cadences, breaking sometimes even into melody, music that rose everywhere from life and wove thought into a homogeneous whole. Sleep well? his cousin inquired when he appeared very late the next day for déjeuner. Think you'll be able to work in that room all right? I slept, yes, thanks, said Jones. No doubt I shall work there right enough when I'm rested, by the by, he asked presently. What has the attic been used for lately? What's been in it, I mean? Books, only books, was the reply. I've stored my library there for months without a chance of using it. I moved about so much, you see. Five hundred books were taken out just before you came. I often think, he added lightly, that when books are unopened like that for long, the minds that wrote them must get restless and... What sort of books were they? Jones interrupted. Fiction, poetry, philosophy, history, religion, music. I've got two hundred books on music alone. End of section 20